Hi there, and welcome back to the SMB Cybercast podcast, where it's all about helping small and medium enterprises and IT professionals learn cybersecurity, improve their defenses, and prevent breaches. If you want to take the security of your organization to the next level, then this is the right place for you. Welcome, and thanks for listening. This show is sponsored by CyberX. CyberX is a cybersecurity agency that specializes in the needs of small and medium enterprises. We believe that everyone is at the risk of attack these days, and that's obvious from the increase in attacks across the board. So if your company needs help with compliance, security, managed security operations, penetration testing, vulnerability management, or any other security need, feel free to reach out to us. You can send us a message at cyberx.tech/contact. That's cyberx.tech/contact. All right, let's get back to the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. Uh, in this episode today, we have a guest we've brought on. I really think you're going to enjoy hearing from him. Um, as we've been talking about in the last few episodes, um, building a security program at your organization. And we've been going through some of the um, steps that every organization should take. And of course, we mentioned uh, security awareness programs, training your individuals how to look out for uh, potential attacks or signs of looming threats. And we have a guest today to talk about building security awareness programs that are effective. Uh, We have Perry Carpenter. Perry Carpenter is the chief evangelist and strategy officer at Know Before. Um, no before is a security awareness training platform. Uh, it's a great tool. We use it. Um, and they just recently became a unicorn company valued at over a billion dollars. Uh, congratulations to you guys. Uh, it's a great tool. And Perry is, he's, he's a written an uh, amazing book recently about building transformational security awareness programs. Um, he's been a researcher director at Gartner, and the list goes on and on of what he's done. So I think he's going to have a lot of value for us today. Uh, welcome to the show, Perry, and we're super honored to have you. So what if we just start with transformational security awareness? What was the inspiration for that title? All right. So the idea behind the phrase transformational security awareness has a few different things packed into it. The first is that we're starting with the idea that a transformation is inevitable, that if we do this right, that the perspectives that our people have and the behaviors that they have will be different after this than they were at the beginning. And I think we've all hoped for that when we talk about security awareness for a while, but um, the problem is is the traditional tactic is throwing information at people and hoping for change. And we know that that doesn't work. Um, Another thing is that I'm really big about using terms that are going to resonate with a target audience. And the word transformation and transformational is everywhere in IT and organization management right now. And so that was a marketing term so that I could speak to the audience that may buy the book. Um, and, and, and so, frankly, I, I used a technique in trying to sell the book to people that I would hope security awareness professionals use in trying to sell ideas to end users. Uh, I use a term and a concept that would resonate. Um, and then the, the other thing is that I really wanted um, 
in the the way that the the book cover shows to show the the idea that we start in one phase and we end in another. So very often when you see the idea of transformation, somebody will show a butterfly or something like that. And I, I did adopt the butterfly picture, but I'm not showing the butterfly emerging from the cocoon. I'm showing the the caterpillar at the beginning you know, sitting in a landscape and then this shadow of a butterfly. And so what I'm trying to communicate there is that we can look at our current state and we can imagine where we want to go. And so all that potential is there and we can unlock it. And the key is consistency and intentionality. Good point about being intentional. Um, Even in security, a lot of times we see organizations, they take an ad hoc approach to things. Uh, and that spills right over into the, their security awareness programs. They just get a tool, um, start implementing it, maybe send out some phishing tests, et cetera. Uh, what is some of your advice on when you're adopt early, in the early stages adopting a security awareness program, uh, being deliberate about it, what are some goals we should have? Or how do we go about this? Because it's going to vary from organization to organization. Yeah. So... It, it is. It is. It's going to vary from organization to organization. So understanding your company culture, your your tolerance for change, tolerance for communication patterns, all of that is key. Um, but let me let me get us into something foundational for a second, because out of that foundational concept, kind of will will bloom these ideas about how we adapt it to the company culture. Um, so I, I mentioned this several times in the book. Um, I really believe that if I boil down all the experience and everything that I've seen when it comes to awareness, there are three principles or realities that we have to grapple with. Um, The first one is just because somebody's aware of something doesn't mean that they care about it. Uh, In other words, I can give somebody information. I I can't necessarily expect action. And uh, I'll give you an example of that. You and I as we drive, probably past speed limit signs every day. That's a piece of information. Does that always lead? Yeah. Does it always lead to to action? No, it doesn't because we do, and we're security guys, we do as security professionals what everybody else does is we take a a look at the situation and the context and we make a risk-based decision based on what we see. We, We know that that's the rule. So even when we know it, we decide whether we want to adopt it based on a whole host of other factors. Um, and, and then also, uh, let me bring this a little bit closer to home. We know a, a lot of things that we need to be doing from a security perspective. Uh, you know, again, you, you and I live, eat and breathe security. But I would bet that we haven't necessarily always, even this week, um, adopted all of the principles that we would hope our end users would. We've, we've been in a hurry. We've created a password that's not the best one, or we've not used a password manager because we've been on a different device. Um, we've maybe left a, a, a laptop in our car in a place that, that we wouldn't have. We've not adopted two-factor authentication when we've been given the opportunity because it didn't feel convenient at the time. Uh, and the list goes on. So we're all making these convenience-based trade-offs based on risk and saying, no, I can get to it later, but right now it just doesn't feel convenient to me. And our users are the same thing. So um, the, the challenge is, is even if we're going to make these kind of decisions, why, why do we get so frustrated when our end users do the same thing? We, we shouldn't. Um, which, which leads into reality number two. Uh, if we try to work against human nature, we will fail. 
the, every single time. Human nature will override every bit of information and hope and expectation that we throw out there. And so uh, we, we have to build awareness programs, and, and I would even broaden that. We have to build our security policies and expectations with the realities of human nature in mind. And we can certainly get into what that looks like. Um, and then the third one is really coming down to the idea that what our people do is way more than what they know. Um, and, and I'll phrase this as bluntly as I can. A person's action is what will decide whether your organization has a breach or not. It's, it's not what they know. But again, because people can know all the right things to do, they just may not execute it on it in the moment. So if I can channel action, I don't necessarily care if they know why they did the thing that they did, but if they just do the right thing, hey, my organization's protected. So it's all about behavior at the end of the day. So what then does that mean when it comes to adopting security awareness for a specific organization? I, I think it means um, a couple things. One is I cannot just throw, throw away the idea of information-based awareness, that there has to be some of that um, because the auditors expect it. Um, and so I have to have some form of, uh, let's say, PCI and HIPAA and uh, SOX and everything else just, just to satisfy those. Um, so I'm, I'm going to do some of those traditional looking things. But it does shift the conversation when it comes to the, the terminology that I use, the frequency that I may adopt, the, um, the types of messages that I might distribute across multiple divisions within the company, because I may speak to marketing differently than I speak to the executive uh, team, and I may speak to that team differently than I speak to call center, um, call center differently than I speak to IT. It won't be the same message. I'll adopt tones and messaging and lengths of time and uh, formats and everything else differently depending on that audience, because I want to resonate the most uh, with them that I can. Uh, the other thing is that when it comes to the behavior side of things, I'll pick a set of behaviors that are going to be the most beneficial to the organization. And I'll really focus on three to five behaviors within a year and, and drill those regardless of the other informational things that I just have to get out there. And I'll have measurement and uh, metrics and storyboards that align to those behavioral uh, things that I want to really implement well. Um, yeah, go ahead. What would an example of a behavioral change you might be looking um, for? Be? I could give the easiest one, which would be like a reduction of phishing rate, uh, but I think everybody understands that internally. Okay. So let's let's shift to right. something harder. Um, let's let's think about. Um, I want my people to destroy documents securely. I don't want them just to throw away paper um, that has confidential information. Instead, I want to, them to put it in our shredding bins. Um, that's something that people would say is really hard to measure behaviorally because um, there's no automatic digital indicator of that like there could be with phishing tests. Um, so the way that I would do that is I would, uh, let, let's even say we do this somewhat traditionally. Um, we start with an information campaign. We have a, like an executive video or a town hall or a combination of things. And we really talk about the importance of um, being able to manage 
customer data appropriately and the, the weight that that has and the significance that it has. Um, because frankly, when you look at it, a lot of the data breaches that happen, they're not necessarily digital. They're, they're because something physical happened. Um, so, so I may talk about that. I may put some just-in-time um, posters over near regular trash bins that would say, hey, are you about to throw this away? Um, it's you know easy and more secure and better for our, our organization and customers if you use the one that's like right next to this. Um, I also might even try to have a little psychological nudge that would show um, let's say above the regular trash bin, um, show a picture of somebody doing a dumpster dive. You know, this is what you could avoid right now. Um, or a picture of somebody just choosing to do the right thing. So I, I could model that for them in, in a way. Um, and then, of course, the shredding bin is easy. It's accessible. It's right there. It's got to be um, an easy decision for somebody to make. Um, now, the key for this on measurement, though, is before I do any information or any campaign, I need to take a baseline of what the usage is. So I, I would just measure how many pounds of, of uh, material gets put in the shredding bins over the course of a day or a week or a month. Um, and so I'd, I'd have that beginning number that I can measure. So we get X amount of pounds. Then we do our information campaign. We release that in several stages and then we do measurement after those campaigns and, and ultimately if we're successful we should see more poundage and then we may even have some goals on um, you know how what order of magnitude usage uh, do we want to have post event versus pre-event and and so that's an example our our measurement is at the actual point of behavior. It's not anything digitally. It's something that we have to take physically because the behavior is physical. When we're implementing these kinds of programs, uh, we deal with small and medium enterprises mostly. And a lot of times, all right, so say you're buying a tool to help with this, uh, you're uh, building out a program, the organizations has to have to justify the need for it. So I think you kind of touch on it, how you would do it there, but uh, could you just kind of talk about that for a minute, maybe? Um, sure. How to track KPIs, uh, to justify how to track the evolution and how the organization is actually progressing towards its end goal? Yeah. So uh, the the first thing I think when um, if we're talking about KPIs, uh, and again, maybe we can back up and, and talk about two different factors that could be uh, put in here. One would be, the the initial discussion that gets you the the budget the time and the resources in order to pursue a, a really well-rounded security awareness program in the first place um and and that is something that a lot of people struggle with so the the way that i do that i carve out the first two chapters of my book actually talk on uh talk about why security awareness is important some of the mistakes that the market has made in talking about security awareness in the past. And that's, that's, you know, really comes back to people conflate the idea of giving somebody information with awareness. And, and hopefully over the past you know, few minutes that we've been talking, we've already uh, debunked that a little bit. Um, and, and so I don't need to re uh, recap all of that. Um, but it's also understanding that awareness and compliance aren't the same thing. So if I just do what the auditor is requesting me to do, and I, I throw out 45 minutes of awareness once a year, um, I cannot actually expect any change. 
and, and so I think that the initial speed bump that we have to get past with our executive team so that we can get money, time, and resource is to decouple security awareness with the annual idea of security awareness that most of the audits have. And so once we can create that story of decoupling those things between uh, getting the compliance checkbox and actually changing behavior, then we start the KPIs uh, uh, that will roll out of that because now we have to justify more constant communication, behavioral intervention, maybe different technologies that we want to bring in, some which may not even be security technologies. Um, and so we'll have that um, a little bit heavier idea of what we should be achieving. And with that will come more responsibility. Um, and so the, the way that I would do that is I would be really clear about what can be achieved. Um, and that means not over promising, uh, of course, but I think even more than that, it means being very, very crispy with the way that we talk about what we can do. Um, and so it's not going to be general, um, I'm going to reduce phishing. Uh, it would be looking at, um, compared to other people within our industry, I want to achieve the, the same baseline that they have or slightly better than others that look like us within the next 12 months. Uh, and then out of that, you'll have to start to bring your methodology that you're going to have to use. So, so the idea, of course, is, is something around reduction. It's comparative to a baseline, um, and that baseline is tied to others within your specific industry. So, so those are, are a few things that come out of that, but then you also need to bake in your procedure. The, the way that that will be accomplished will be the, the successful completion of a targeted simulated social engineering campaign um, that will be rolled out at least once per month over the next 12 months. Um, because at that point, what you're doing is you're tying your keys to success with the actual measurement of that success. Um, and, and I would say, if you just say, I'm going to reduce phishing by X percent within the, the next 12 months, and you've not also gotten the buy-in for the methodology of how to do that and bake that into the performance piece of that, then you could be setting yourself up for failure because you'll go go for the approval to do that that bit. You'll, you'll tr try to go do your, your monthly phishing test and somebody will say, we can't talk to our people uh, again this month, or we can't do that, it's gonna disrupt business. And now they've thrown a monkey wrench into what's actually gonna make you successful. Um, so, so I think with each of your behaviors, and with each of your goals, um, you have to follow what is um, essentially called an, an OKR process, an objective and key result. You state your objective, and then for each objective, you've got three or five uh, key things that will roll up to how you achieve that. It's probably a little bit long-winded of an answer, but, but, but I, I think you get the gist of it. Okay. It's great. Yeah, and I like what you talked about not only doing it annually. Um, yes. One thing we point out to our clients, and I'm sure a lot of security people do something similar, is if you think about when you learned your multiplication tables, you didn't learn them by practicing once a year. Uh, yeah. For, for anyone to become aware of something, to build a culture around it where you're a, a culture of security awareness, 
it takes uh, repeated nudging and reminding. Yeah. So they become aware of it. And they think about it. Absolutely. So I, I've got another example of that. Um, if, if I were to hope to change my body composition, let's say I want to lose weight and get in shape. I don't go to the gym just once and then look like Chris Helmsworth. Uh, yeah, that's, that's repeated constant. I've got to train muscle memory. I have to uh, really, really work at a lot of that. And if I stop, let's say I, I go and I start to see results and then I stop. Um, well, we, we move back into a state of atrophy and behaviors the same way. Um, we, we can start to get things where we want them to go. But if we then leave it there and we stop the training, um, the, the, tr the behavior that we're hoping for will start to devolve over time and people will go back to the status quo, which moves us back into uh, reality number two. Uh, if we try to work against human nature or without human nature in mind, we will ultimately fail. You mind talking on that for a minute? How do we build our security programs without going against human nature? Uh, yeah, so um, here's here's one way that I think about it. Um, and it's, it's an example that I saw over and over at Gartner um, and companies that I've worked at before. I, I think when we build security policies, we build policies with... Um, we build policies in a way that doesn't account for human nature. And then we get really, really frustrated with the fact that people don't comply with the policy. And the way that, that I've said it for years is if you have a gap between um, what your policy is stating and the behavioral reality, it's probably because you've written your policy for somebody that's not a human. Uh, and you've got a lot of hope and expectation in, in that but you've not aligned it with what somebody can actually do, what, what a, a real end user should be expected to do. Uh, an, exa an example of that would be, um, well, even something that says, uh, let's say an overarching umbrella security policy that says all employees should be familiar with and adhere to these policies. Um, well, that's, that's great and it's aspirational. And I think in a perfect world, we could do that. But if you've got a couple hundred policies each of the which have then some procedures under that. Uh, these people that we're giving these to, they've got day jobs. <laughs> They're not security professionals. Um, and especially when they sound like yeah, they yeah, they're not written for humans. And so they've got so much um, jargon in them and legalese type of wording to protect the company that the standard end user can read it and, and, and not comprehend it. But yeah, they'll, they'll sign the thing that says that they read it and understood it, or they'll take the three minute uh, quiz over and over and over again until they get it right. But then they don't know it. And there, there's a couple things that come into this. One is when we train somebody on a concept that aligns with a policy, it's most likely that they're being trained at a time that it's not contextually relevant to them. Um, let's say we give them password training about how to create and remember a good password. 99% of the time, we're giving them that training on a day when they're not going to change their password. So it's not contextually relevant. They're going to forget all of that stuff by the time that they actually change their password. So 
it, when we start to transform our security awareness programs from something traditional into something that is aware of the realities of human nature, then we start to move those bits of training to a time that's contextually relevant to the behavior that we want to see. So the example on passwords would be that, um, yeah, maybe I still have to do my once a year password training to satisfy my auditor, um, but I, I don't expect that to change behavior or I don't rely on that to change behavior. Instead, uh, what I do is I supplement all of that and on my password change page for my company, I put a quick video on that page that talks about the importance of it. I put a password strength meter. Um, I may put a quiz or a game on how to do it. Um, I might even put a link to something like, have I been pwned so that they can go uh, understand that their password, you know, the password that they're, they're thinking about putting has already been compromised in some way. Um, so I want to put all of those things related to the, that behavior in a quick, easy to understand, digestible way at the point that it's going to be most relevant to them and then have that that linkage there as explicit as possible. Uh, the, the other thing. Yeah, it's exactly it's it's, it's the same concept. The, the other thing that I would do is, um, and I'll harp on the password thing again, is even in that example, I'm still hoping that somebody will do the right thing and that they'll do it across all their accounts. Um, but I, th I think that we have to also design for a bigger reality. Um, so yeah, maybe I can create get somebody to create a good password for their corporate email that's that's way better than they've been doing before because they're not you know they're they're not using password one anymore or some variant of monkey or you know game of thrones character of the day um but research has shown that right now people are managing around 200 accounts each and these are normal everyday end users i don't think that it's humanly possible for most people on earth to create and remember 200 good passwords. There's naturally gonna be password reuse that happens in there. There's going to be all these things that we're saying are bad. So if we're designing behavior for a larger issue, then we need to help them with that 200 number. And really the only way that you can do that is at this point, it's, it's moving to some kind of tool-based solution which you know gets into things like password managers and all that. And I, I know debates around password managers, but, uh, but hey, if I can get somebody to, to really own the responsibility of creating and remembering, um, let's say up to five good passwords and a password manager creating and remembering everything else for them, then I think ultimately that's stronger. Making it easy for them or uh, convenient for them to do what you want them to do. Yeah, yeah, I, I rely a lot in the way that I think about behavior. Um, I rely on a Stanford researcher uh, by the name of BJ Fogg, who created a field of study called behavior design. And um, he has an algorithm behind it and everything else that, that we could get into or not. But the, the, the reason that his name is significant in this is this is the guy that, um, literally has trained uh, several folks 
uh, out of Stanford University who have gone on to create habit forming apps um, and internet uh, sites and everything else. It's like, you know, the, the founder for Instagram was one of his students, uh, people within Facebook and um, and other companies have come out of his behavioral lab. And they've really solidified the idea of how to channel behavior where they want it to go. And within the security field, we should be doing the same. And so the way that he talks about behavior is that when it comes to something being too hard for somebody to do, we really only have three choices. Um, we can work at the person level by training them up and helping strengthen that behavior, which is is a, a very traditional way. So I'm going to train them, um, you know, something that was, you know, Let's say it felt like a 300 pound burden before after they do strength training for uh, for several months. Now that 300 pounds doesn't feel as heavy. Um, well, security behaviors can be the same way. Um, so, so you've got a training uh, type of thing at the person level. You can work at the action level um, so that you can make the action easier. And the way that you do that is to use tools or find a way to break up the action into smaller chunks. And then the other thing that you can uh, adjust is the context, the, the time of day or the place or the environment that you're asking somebody to perform the behavior in. Because um, there are times and places where you'll naturally have greater motivation uh, and you'll overcome that, that this is hard to do. Um, yeah, exactly. And so at, at, all play, at all times, at all things, you, you're either working at the person level, at the action level, or at the context level. Exactly. It comes back to that intentionality term that we used at the very beginning. Um, and it has to oh, go ahead. No. I was going to say, um, when we do that, even even the behavior piece of that, we have to be very intentional about how we phrase the behavior that we're changing. Because um, if, let's say we're talking about password management again. It's not just uh, that I want somebody to create, or let, let's say the, the, the way that we typically phrase this in the security field is, I just want people to exercise better password management. Well, there's, there's probably three to five behaviors that that's an umbrella phrase for. And if I'm not targeting all of those behaviors, then I'm creating a false sense of security for my program. So, you know, behavior number one is I need somebody to understand the fundamentals of what it takes to create a good password, and then I need to enable them to do it. Uh, another fundamental is I need to have people with the tools, techniques, and resources to remember that password. Because so I can create a really good, strong password, but if I can't remember it, that's nothing. Um, and then I also need to have them be able to create and remember a good password in different contexts of life in, on different devices. Because I can have really good hygiene at my desktop, but if my mobile hygiene sucks, then it's, I've still got a blind spot. Uh, and so that then comes down to training at the person level, training at the action level, and the context. So kind of on the same topic of changing behavior, um, uh, we see organizations approach this from a few ways. Um, sometimes you see organizations uh, implement rewards for good behavior. And sometimes we see organizations punish bad behavior after X amount of repeated offenses, et cetera. And 
within the community, there's some debate back and forth on is punishment right, uh, the carrot or the stick, which is the right approach. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Um, you know, it's one of those things that, and um, going back to my analyst days now, um, there, there's an it depends that comes with that. Um, some of that is based on the current organizational culture. And if you naturally have an organizational culture that is heavy handed and punitive um, and you become the the one exception to that within your department, then there's a little bit of a dissonance in that and and people might take advantage of that or they might see it as not as serious as everything else. Um, So I don't think that you can break with the corporate culture um, in an immediate way without creating a bridge. And so there's some intentionality again, and some bridging of context that has to be done before you start to shift. But ultimately, if I, if I were to answer the question directly, I think that carrots work way more than sticks. Um, and there's, there's a couple reasons for that. And I can argue for the stick as well um, in a second too, but, but I, I prefer the carrot um, because I want people on my side because they believe it's the right thing to do and because they're passionate about it, not because they're afraid of me. Because as soon as I miss one instance of giving them the stick, well, then they're going to test to the next instance, um, same way that kids do. Um, but what we found uh, through research, and you see this in Las Vegas every day, is that as soon as somebody gets the right reward, you've basically immediately built a habit. And so there's been a lot of study into what's called variable reward systems and the release of dopamine within the brain. And what what it boils down to is if I can make somebody feel extremely successful and, and awesome, then there's enough of a psychological reward and a chemical reward that gets released from the brain that they will go seek that out again. And it doesn't have to be given frequently. Um, it, and it doesn't have to be given even consistently. As long as they know that it's there and that they can have that feeling again, they're going to straw, they're going to perform that behavior over and over and over. That's why games like Candy Crush work. That's why Facebook scrolling works. You know, w- one of the, the reasons that, that we end up losing time on Facebook is we see a post uh, of something that gives us a, a reward and then we scroll infinitely looking for the next reward like that, even though we'll pass 10, 15, 20 things that we don't care about or disagree with or make us frustrated, then we get to that one thing that gives us the the reward. And then we scroll again for another 20 minutes. And so I I think that we can start to build um, with intentionality some of those same reward systems in place. And we capitalize on the, the whole reason that gambling works or the, the reason that uh, uh, certain apps are addictive and, and so on. Um, but we're doing it for, for a cause and we're not doing it in a way that's manipulative. We're doing it in a way that's genuine because we do a- appreciate the, the behavior. I agree. I think we've seen that same thing, like you mentioned, in organizations that, for example, have quarterly prizes for the person that catches the most legitimate fishes, et cetera. You see them really get into it and really want to win that reward. Yeah, exactly. And so, um, and even that, that's a reward that's that's predictable. And so if it seems genuine and the reward is interesting enough, then then people will go for it. So 
The other thing that's happening there is that when somebody gets that quarterly award, there's usually a little bit of social status that they're getting. And this gets into the, the culture piece and the, the social piece of things. And if I, I bounce back to BJ Fogg, he has a really famous quote where he says, humans are uh, actually, when we design things, we have to account for uh, the realities of human nature there, similar to my point too. And he says, humans are lazy, social and creatures of habit. And we have to design with those things in mind. So people don't like to expend a lot of effort. Um, they're social, so they like to look good in front of others, and they like to model intentionally or unintentionally what other people are doing, and then they like to do things the way that they've always been doing it. And if we, if we try to go against any of those three things, then we're setting ourselves for a little bit of hardship. Yeah, social plays into both. So um, it, when, it, when it comes to, right, to rewards, true. if you're making a peer look good, well, then, then that's fantastic. They've, they've shown the, the pack or the tribe that they're a standout member. Um, if they're not aligning with the, the group, well, then, um, you know, this is the whole reason that within society, um, you, you have people that uh, when somebody is not aligning with the social norm or expectations, they're, they're ostracized or they're demonized. Um, and so at, at any given time when you're thinking about a social structure or a culture, there's a, a norm that the group wants to hold. And that's the, that's the expectation. Um, anytime somebody moves outside of the, the group expectation or norm, uh, only two things can happen. One is they're idolized because that's seen as a positive thing. Or the other end of that is that they're ostracized or, or demonized uh, because they moved outside that expectation in a negative way. Before we have to go, you might have a couple other points you want to talk on. Um, but could you just kind of give us a maybe a summary roadmap um, for it? an organization, people listening that are looking to build, start a security awareness program, or maybe improve the one they have. Um, could you maybe give us a very practical roadmap of some things they should take into consideration? Yeah. So the, you know, the, the first thing is to embrace the idea that this isn't just an information based type of approach. Um, and so getting your executive team on board, getting your corporate communications, if you need to, uh, to get approval to, to talk to your people with certain frequencies, um, that, that is key because you can adopt the mindset that I'm talking about all day long. But if then you start to try to communicate with your people more frequently and your, your uh, executive team then, then goes, I, I can't have you doing that, well, um, then you're back at square one. And so it's best to evangelize this upfront, make sure everybody's on board, um, go through and, and talk about uh, the reasons that data breaches happen. Um, it, at the end of the day, data breaches really are, are way more about behavior than they are technology. Um, and I think if you were to go to like privacy rights clearinghouse and look at the data breaches over the past several years, what you'll see is that there's usually procedure and behavior that are involved in why companies are, are being breached and why they're having to disclose. 
And so if, if that's the point of reference that your executive team has, it's, it's that you want to do this so that you stay off the front page or so that you don't have to do a disclosure of some type. Well, then, yeah, start start there. And then you start to move. I saw a statistic even from No Before recently where they said that 97% of breaches involved social engineering exactly. on some yeah. level or um, some sort. And you, you see this borne out in different reports in different ways. So some will say, um, let's, you know, let's pick a report that says, all right, here's one type of breach that is the result of phishing. Um, and then they'll have a stat. And then they'll have another category of the report. And then they'll say, here's another type of breach that's the result of malware. Well, you know, in reality, one of the reasons that malware gets on a device in the first place is because somebody fished that user and were able to, to get them to, to download that malware. Um, so you have to really understand where the reports are coming from. But uh, I think Verizon and some other um, teams really do a good job rolling that up where they're, they're, they will categorically say that the vast majority of the reason why a company gets breached or, or has a disclosure event is related to social engineering. And so that, that then becomes a behavioral category that you can sell to your executive team that you want to focus on. Um, the other thing is getting in their minds the idea of communicating to different people in different ways so that you can make that very relevant. And then you want to start to, uh, to talk about which behaviors your organization has the cultural appetite to take on. And you want to also talk about, um, as we just discussed, what is your approach for recognition and reward? And at what point might you have to bring in some negative recognition and reward? Um, you know, where, where does that stick piece enter the conversation? Um, and is that appropriate in your organization? Um, and then you start to do your execution piece of that and rolling that out. Um, I, I mentioned briefly the idea of OKRs earlier, which is objectives and key results um, as part of your KPI process. So you want to be really clear about that. And within your, your K, KPIs or your OKRs, um, you need to build in the actual methodology of how you're going to accomplish it and tie that in wherever possible with the goals and expectations of other departments. So that if you're missing on one of your, um, one, of, one of your key results for a quarter and you're, you're moving off track of that, that it is also affecting somebody else's OKRs or their KPI process. So that then they've got the buy-in to help move that to the direction that you want it to go. Um, on the implementation piece of this, uh, the, the tone for your communication is so important. Um, this is one of those things that you don't want to be talking at your people. You want to be talking with them. Um, and the way that I think about this is your, your people need to feel like you're approaching them as a, a peer, as a maybe a concerned parent, as a concerned friend. You're coming alongside them rather than, rather than standing in front of them wagging your finger. And you're talking about the shared responsibility, not their responsibility. Um, organizations take some out-of-the-box approaches to that that were very, very effective. Um, yeah. Uh, I've seen healthcare organizations that uh, create their whole security awareness program based on 
maybe a flu epidemic and everything relates yeah. to a flu so that their their uh, clinicians understand it very yeah, well. And, and I think that that's, that's key. So you're automatically shifting the language and the frame to something that they understand and you're bridging to them rather than they're them bridging to you. And you're finding a way to make that. And then another organ. Sorry. No, Sorry. no, I was, I was going to say, um, and, and then once you, once you create that bridge, then you start to inject some of the, the concepts and terminology that, that they might need to know in order to come over to your side, but you're starting where they are and talking about relevance in a model that they understand. Another organization where they were, their security awareness program was more. It was a, I think it was monthly or quarterly, but the employees came to the mm-hmm. break room during lunch for the training, and they are they were having a uh, quite a low participation rate. So they, someone came up with the idea and they changed their um, training from security and awareness to how to keep your kids Absolutely. safe online and protect them. And when they change it to that, they drastically. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, if we go back to those those three realities of, of awareness, um, that that first one, just because I'm aware doesn't mean that I care, um, I think is one of those things that they were really positioning to overcome. So they, they started with a reason why somebody would care. And and then they connected the dots back to the organizational piece, I'm, I'm sure. So they started with, here's all the fundamentals of, of privacy and security that you need to, to protect your kids, because that's something you naturally care about and would want to do. And then out of the overflow of that would come the the connections to, um, here's here's how that works in an organization. Um, and here's the, the habits that you can build out of that. Uh, and I think that that's extremely effective because you're starting again at a frame that they understand and more uh, moreover, one that they're willing to overcome the, the some of the behavioral hurdles of the complexity so that they can understand and do the right things for their kids. So I think that's all the questions I have. You have it's up to you if you no, I mean, the, the only the only thing that I would throw in there um, when we're talking about it, the program piece is the the measurement after that. We talked a little bit about measurement before and making sure that that's relevant and at the point of behavior. Um, frequency of training, I think, is really important. We can't give them information once and hope for the best. Um, if it's behavior based, you have to constantly throw it out there and test it. And when you're selling this to your executive team, Use analogies, use the, the gym analogy, use um, learning how to play a sport, use anything that would resonate with them where they know that to have change, there's repeated patterns that are involved in that and that that repeated pattern is needed consistently in order to achieve the result and to stay where you want to go. Um, and then I think frequent communication back to the team is important. So there's constant evaluation and rework that has to be in this. So think about this in a continuous improvement model. Um, and and I'll, I'll leave with, with a phrase um, that I think frames out the way that I approach awareness um, because I, I really do have this marketer mindset when it comes to it, is that we want to plan like a marketer uh, and the way that a marketer plans something is they they distribute messages across multiple channels. So if you think of billboards that you've seen on the side of the road 
radio ads that come through as you're driving or listening to something, uh, TV ads, print ads, um, internet-based ads, everything else. So they're always trying to grab your attention at whatever channel is going to resonate with you the most and whichever one you're naturally going to show up at the most. And they're always wanting to reinforce that. So even like uh, you might see a McDonald's sign several uh, miles away from where there's actually a McDonald's, but then you'll see another one that says exit now for McDonald's. So they're showing that at the point of behavior when it makes sense. And so they've transformed that that trigger, that prompt to a time that's relevant. Um, you'll see uh, an ad for cereal on TV, but they'll also put an end cap in your supermarket and an advertisement at the place where you can buy that. And so you're always wanting to think about how do I distribute all this messaging and then point, uh, put at least a piece of that messaging as close to the point of behavior as possible. And then, uh, then the other thing that's, that's key is, is in addition to planning like a marketer is testing like an attacker. So you always want to be throwing out real world simulated social engineering attacks or behavioral scenarios as often as possible so that people get to flex that muscle over and over and over again and build the muscle tone in practice uh, rather than in the actual um, time when it's it's breach time or non-breach time. If they built up the muscle memory uh, before the actual attack hits, well, then now their resilience is going to be so much greater than if you'd never provided any training or practice for them. So before we go, we always like to give our guests an opportunity to uh, say where our listeners can support them. Uh, I know you just wrote a book. Uh, I know you you also promote for No Before. So however, whoever you want to do. Yeah, if you're interested in anything that I'm doing or working on, um, you can certainly, uh, I think that uh, the Know Before website does a great job of, about showing uh, and putting up links to any webinars that I've done recently. Um, I, I'm certainly one that on LinkedIn typically talks about where I'm about to, to be that week and present that week. And if you're interested in the book, it's called uh, Transformational Security Awareness, What Neuroscientists, Storytellers, and Marketers Can Teach Us About Driving Secure Behaviors. And that's available on Amazon or Barnes & Noble, uh, you know, any of the places that you typically shop online and physically in uh, a lot of Barnes & Noble stores across the U.S. and, and, uh, and the world. Um, so that'd be great. Um, that is a just thought leadership book. So it's not a, a no before book or a vendor uh, book. This is a book that's that's just all about the mindset and the behaviors that we can adopt as practitioners. Uh, and we can utilize uh, a lot of different tools uh, in a very pragmatic way uh, as we approach really working to improve the security posture of our organizations. And we will provide links to both of those in our show notes at cyberx.tech slash podcast. Um, so they can check out your book or if they're interested in know before uh, we'll give some links to that and we are actually know before partners so we can help anyone out and give them more information if they want to uh, know how that tool implements a lot of what you've been talking about into the uh, tool it, it does yeah that was one of my goals when i came on at know before was uh, to take what what they were already doing really, really well in those behavioral concepts that were just naturally baked into that, but then see anything that I can do to help to bring that to the next level uh, as we continue to evolve and uh, 
really as much as possible codify all these best practices within a tool so that uh, it's the natural behavior that a security awareness leader would would implement because that's the easiest way to use the tool. Um, and again, so that's that's behavior design baked into the tool. Yeah, they really do do a good job of that. Yeah, thank you so much. For the price, it's pretty remarkable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, pricing is one of those things that um, no before really started out with the heart of service to the SMB community. And so the tool was architected with SMBs in mind. And the pricing was, of course, a piece of that as well. Uh, and that's that's what distinguishes No Before from most of the other vendors in the market is we really had um, the heart of service towards the SMB community, the, the tool, the interface and the pricing and the deployment model are all around that. It's all baked in, simple to understand. Um, if, if you're technically savvy at all and that uh, you could work a word processor, uh, you can implement No Before without the need for consulting. And, and then we're also there to, to help every step of the way um, at no additional cost. And uh, when you look at many of the other tools, they were they were created for security professionals or people that that uh, might expect a longer implementation time frame and consulting and all that. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, regardless of what vendor you have, uh, I, I think we're we're all out there to build resiliency within the secure, security community and within the end user base. So the the end goal is the same. Um, how some vendors get there is a little bit different. And uh, I would encourage you to, to take a look at us uh, as well as any of the, the other vendors in the market um, because everybody has something good to, to do. Thank you very much. Like we said, we'll right, provide links you. to both of those at www.cyberx.tech podcast on our latest episode um, when it's live. And Perry, thank you very much. Thank you so much. It's been a great, uh, great time chatting with you. And that's the SMB Cybercast podcast. Thank you again for listening. Please check out our other white papers, roadmaps, and webcasts at www.cyberx.tech resources and our blog at www.cyberx.tech blog. We have lots of guides and roadmaps to help you improve your cybersecurity program. Go check us out, and we'll see you next episode.